see you all here. Uh, we, this year we were able to do what's called an Advent series, which is simply stringing together four Sundays in anticipation of Christmas. And so we've been looking at uh, kind of classic um, Advent topics. We've been looking at hope and peace and joy. And today we're going to be looking at love. And what seems to be a theme going through the last three weeks, and we'll continue that today, is this idea that these qualities of who Jesus is and uh, what he comes to promise us often seem hidden. When you think about peace, especially at this time of year, or joy, sometimes for us, this is very elusive, isn't it? It's, this is supposed to be the most joyful time of year, but sometimes there's family difficulties or things that we're going through ourselves, and it seems less than joy-filled. Same would be true with peace. We all want to see more peace on earth, but often you, you watch the news, and it's really discouraging, isn't it, to see all that's going on in this world. And so there's this idea that Christianity promotes these qualities of hope and peace and joy and love, but uh, when it comes down to reality... Sometimes it doesn't seem as obvious as we'd like it to be. And so we want to be able to maybe look at today, why is that so? But I want to start off with kind of the, the, the positive statement about what I think the, the heart of Christmas is about and what Jesus came to bring. It's in Isaiah 16:5. It says this, In love, a throne will be established. In faithfulness, a man will sit on it. This is a prophecy that's forecasting the coming of Jesus and it describes the, the meaning of Christmas as, uh, as a new king coming to earth to establish his authority. Now, for some of us, that can be a bit of a surprise. We look at what the kids said in their um, description of what Christmas is. That there's a, there is a king who came, was born, but it was mostly about the forgiveness of sins. And while that's an important part of Christianity, actually what is being prioritized at Christmas is the king coming to earth. Now, maybe that's news for you, but that really is the main message of Christmas, is that there is a new king in town, and he's coming to establish a kingdom of love over the whole earth. The problem, of course, is that that's a little bit hidden, isn't it? It doesn't look like Jesus is in charge. Last time I looked... Uh, look at how it's described, how he comes to earth. In Luke chapter 2, Tyler already read this, but let me reread it. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in, cl in cloths and lying in a manger. So you have this prophecy that's all about this throne of love, that this king is going to come to earth and is going to establish the kingdom of love on this planet. And then you see the, you, you kind of flash forward to when this really happens and it doesn't look much like a throne of love. It's an animal trough. But that's where the, the baby is going to be found, is where uh, kids, uh, where, you know, animals feed. And so it's just hard to, like, is he the king or is he not? Like, it looks, it always seems to see, look, so hidden. And then it gets worse. 
Look what's uh, written in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. Herod, who was the king at that time, gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and under. So you have this king who has come to earth in a manger, animal trough, hard to understand, hard to see. And then because of that, the ruler at that time, Herod, massacred all the boys in Bethlehem in the, in the vicinity at that time. Well, that's a little challenging, isn't it? There's a, a uh, if you can put up that painting. Here you have a woman who's, you can see the terror in her eyes. And just around the corner, the Romans are coming to slaughter all of the, uh, of the baby boys. In kind of a helpless way, she's hanging on to her son, hoping that somehow that fate wouldn't befall her son. But uh, you can see in her bare feet that there's really, she has no protection. And you hate to imagine what's going to be happening in a few moments. Uh, it would be very easy for the shepherds and for the rest of those in Bethlehem to be able to say to Jesus, this is your fault. <clears throat> you caused this. You came announcing a throne of love, and what have we experienced? Well, the exact opposite. So the question that I want to pose to us this morning, is God's love ever obvious? Because sometimes it doesn't seem as obvious as we would like it to be. I do lots of you know, counseling with people and I get to meet with lots of people, which is a real privilege. And you hear people's stories and it never seems as though the love of God is as clear or evident as we would hope it to be. It seems to be that it's always you know, in the future and uh, we, we Christians talk a lot about hope. And so sometime in the future, don't worry. You know, he wasn't lying. This throne is really going to be established on earth. It's just going to take a minute. So just hold your breath a little bit longer, and uh, you'll be able to experience that kingdom of love that we always talk about. Or we describe life as kind of uh, the difficulties in life having a silver lining. And so, yeah, it's not great. Yeah, there's tragedy. But if you kind of squint and turn your head and, you know, there's some good behind all of that. And so we just need to find the, the positive message that's behind the tragedies that we experience. And it seems as though Christianity is almost apologetic for its message. Yeah, it preaches peace, it preaches uh, hope and love and joy, but, you know, times are hard. Uh, it'll happen someday, but just not yet. And so why don't you join me in holding your breath just a little bit longer? So what's going on? What I'd like to present to you <coughs> is what I think this passage is speaking about. I'd like to present to you a reason why the love or the other qualities that we, we celebrate, why that love maybe isn't as seen as we would like it to be. And this is my statement that maybe not seeing love is less about evidence and more about blindness. 
that maybe it's true that uh, God is, is more evident than we think he is. But the reason why we don't see him in his fullness and glory maybe is less about a lack of evidence and is more because there is inside of us kind of a spiritual blindness that makes it difficult to see him. Uh, I'd like to present to you two qualities that I think are tremendously evident, but that for somehow, for some reason, is hard to see. And the first is, uh, well, both of them are in this passage. It says, today in the town of David, a Savior is born. That's number one, has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. So the way that the angel describes this coming king is in two qualities, that he's a Savior and that he's a Lord. Now, uh, when we think about what salvation is, we typically describe salvation as the forgiveness of sins. That God is bringing his kingdom to earth, it's an eternal kingdom. The way that you gain entrance into that kingdom is through the forgiveness of sins. If you came in just as you were, your, uh, your sin would corrupt the love that's there. And so we need to have forgiveness in order to enter into that kingdom. Now, that is, I don't think that you can have a more graphic description of love than someone dying a humiliating death on a cross for your sins and mine. I think that's, that's pretty graphic. And if you've seen any movies about this, it's a, I mean, it's sobering. So you have this thing that's really, really obvious, yet to... I think if we're all honest to all of us, I know I struggle with this every day, but this idea of forgiveness of sins actually doesn't feel like good news to me at all. It actually feels a little bit insulting. You know, if I do something wrong, this is what I would like from you. I'll just give you a heads up. This is what I like. I do something wrong towards you. Here's what I'd like you to say. I'd like you to say, ah, you know, I know your heart. And I know that deep, 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 deep down, you're a really good person, and I know you really didn't mean it, and you probably, you know, had low blood sugar that day, and uh, the stars didn't line up, and I said, so I know who you really are, and I say, oh, you know, I'll only do this once, cause, but, oh, you know, I really do think I did it wrong, and they go, oh, no, 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 you were really good, and I go, oh, thank you, and uh, what I'm hoping for is I'm hoping for flattery. I'm not hoping for forgiveness. In fact, I don't even want forgiveness. If you were to say to me, and I say, I'm sorry for what I did, and I go, and you would respond to me and say, you know, well, that, I know that that's just the tip of the iceberg. I know that you're much more wicked, you know, than I noticed, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I know that about you, and so I'm choosing to forgive you. How would I feel about that? I'd feel insulted. I go, how dare you forgive me? I don't want your forgiveness. I want your admiration. I want you to know that deep down I'm a really good person. That's what I want you to know. And part of me apologizing to you was just showing what a good person I am. I wasn't actually expecting forgiveness because that would be insulting to me. <clears throat> like what if this grand demonstration of love is we're blind to it, not because it didn't happen, 
or didn't exist, it's that it insults us. I don't want to think about being forgiven. I want to be flattered. I want to be appreciated. I want you to build up my self-esteem. I don't want you to tell me that I'm wrong. That wouldn't be helpful for me at all. So I have a hunch that what's really going on is not that God's love isn't clear, it's that we're blinded uh, to that love because of what we believe about ourselves. That's Savior, forgiveness. Then he goes on, the, the passage goes on to describe him as Lord. <clears throat> now, we know from this passage in, 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 uh, in, in Matthew that uh, to Herod, who is the ruler of that day, this is not good news. This is, the, this is the opposite of good news. I'm king. I want to be king. And, uh, and you coming to announce yourself as the ruler, not just of Israel, but as the world, that's a violation to me. We know from history that Herod was incredibly paranoid. He could have suffered from depression as well. A sociopath, really. And that he, uh, uh, he killed three of his own children, killed one of his wives, because he was thoroughly committed to being king. And he would do anything to retain that position, including killing, killing his own flesh and blood to secure his authority. So to Herod, this statement of a throne of love, uh, I'm going to kill that. And I'm going to do whatever I need to do to make sure actually that you don't succeed. See, to the, to the powerless, a king, a loving king coming to earth is incredibly good news. But to somebody who wants to retain their own power, it's the worst news possible. Now again, we flash forward to today, and uh, what's the message that's being told you and I? What's the problem? What's your problem and mine? Well, it's low self-esteem. That's our problem. And uh, don't worry. You're meant to be the ruler of your life. You were designed that way, and, uh, and I'm just going to help you become that. And for many people, this is what Christianity is about. Christianity is not about the dethroning of self. It's using the aid of God to become all that we imagined ourselves to be. And so the Christian message, again, becomes insulting. Jesus comes, and he says this really great news. I, I am going to be king. I'm going to rule the world. And we say, I don't want that. Why would I want you to be king? I want to be king. I want to be the master of my destiny. I want to be in control of my life. I don't want you to be in control. I don't trust you. I trust me. Yeah, sure, I'll use you, but I'm not going to submit to you. That's just bad news. Now, do you see what's going on here? You see, 
the two most graphic statements of how God wants to portray his love on earth by forgiving our sins and by leading our lives. The, the, the exact moment of the most powerful display of love, getting a better life leader and, a, uh, and someone who can actually die for our sins, not just dismiss them, that those things actually we're blinded to it because it insults us. So maybe the problem is less about evidence. Maybe, that, maybe it's not hidden at all. But it's because we don't want it to be true. So this explains then how God's love is hidden. It is hidden only to the insulted. God's love is hidden only to the insulted. So how do, uh, how do you and I explain our mistrust of God's love? Uh, you know, what, what, what do we say? Again, I do, I do lots of counseling, and if you, if you trace somebody's issues back to their source, you almost always get to the mistrust of God, almost always. If you listen long enough, I don't believe that he's loving, and I don't believe that he's in charge. And so, it, it, this is how it feels to me, you guys, that at the end of the day, the reason why my life isn't the way it is is because you haven't proven yourself trustworthy. You don't look in charge, and you don't look loving. And we'll bring up what we would describe as evidence. The first is in Matthew chapter 2. Herod gives orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem two years and under. I'm sure that you and I, right now, can have dozens of examples of that going on in the world right now. And so we say to God, look, I'd like to trust you, but you say that you're ruling this world and look at what's going on in this world. And so if that's an example of your leadership, I don't want any part of it. I'm not signing up. You're clearly not trustworthy. Clearly. And then there's a second thing that people will bring up. The first is uh, what would be described as empirical evidence that God is neither loving nor powerful. And the second would be along the same lines but more personal, and it would be unanswered prayer. And this is a huge struggle for us, for me personally. And I think everyone in this room, at some point in time, has prayed as sincerely as they know how for God to do something, and he did not answer the prayer the way that we imagined he should answer it. And we resent him for it. So we'll say, you know, you want me to submit to you and to ask you to do stuff that I can't do for myself. All right, I'm asking. And we ask it sincerely as we know how, and you don't do it. What's going on? What's going on? What if, what if there's another lens to overlay over our reality that would be less about evidence 
and would be more about our hearts being insulted by the evidence. What if you are and I are insulted by Savior and Lord? What if that's really what's going on? <clears throat> what if it's really true? Now, for sure, for sure this is true. So let, let's just make this clear. For sure it's true that uh, Jesus' salvation and leadership in the world is not fully experienced. Like, for sure that's true. And there's a reason for that. The reason for that is that God is giving humanity time to turn their hearts to him and to repent and to believe and trust. And so he's holding off his complete leadership over the world to give you and I a chance to turn to him in trust and humility. So that's true. But here's what's also true. That for those of you who do choose to trust, the experience of forgiveness changes our lives. The experience of having a better life leader dramatically changes our lives. I know it to be true. I have watched time and time again people who have submitted themselves to the leadership of Jesus. They said, I will follow you. And I've watched their lives dramatically change. Dramatically. And I've watched the forgiveness of sins heal people's hearts in a way that flattery never does. The evidence is clear. The problem is the insult. I think this is the problem. I was thinking about this... Uh, we're talking about uh, Toby. What, he, one of my sons, Toby, is working today. He can't. Uh, he wasn't able to be here. But uh, he was he, growing up. He's just one of these kids that has a thousand questions, you know. And it's just, uh, you know, the first twenty are amusing, <laughs> and then it just gets a little tiring. So he always has opinions about everything. And I, we remember this one time we were talking about it yesterday. He was f he's four years old, and uh, he reached the conclusion in his infinite mind that aliens are real. And so uh, he says to me, you know, Dad, I've thought about it, and, uh, you know, the evidence is clear. There are aliens. And I'm saying, son, you know, I just don't think there's any evidence for that. I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I, as far as I know, there's no evidence that aliens exist. And then his final comeback to me was, Dad, um, what if uh, you're wrong and I'm right? <laughs> like, have you ever thought of that? Because I have. And I'm, I'm pretty sure you're wrong and I'm right. You know, and I, I think about that. I, I think, you know, God says, uh, let me rule your heart and I'll change your life. And we say, you know, what if you're wrong and I'm right? You never thought about that, God, did you? But what if you're the wrong one? What if I'm the right one? I think the, uh, the, the pride of humanity is shocking. You know, we, we, we live for a few years and we have huge opinions, don't we? Just huge opinions on what we think is right and wrong and what we would do if we were God. Uh, you know, <laughs> thank you that we're not. But I think we're a little bit like Herod 
Or maybe we're a little bit like a politician. You know, it's hard for me to watch or listen to the news these days because it's just, uh, I find it so disheartening because it seems as though every time a politician opens their mouth that it's somehow a smear campaign against their opponents. You know, and I, 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 you know, I, I listen to the opponents and they're actually not bad people. I think they're trying to serve the country or city or province as much as you are, but you, in order to secure your position of power and authority, you need to smear that other person in order to make yourself better. And so what if the reason why God is presented in this society the way he is, maybe the reason why we believe what we believe is that it has nothing to do with evidence. It has everything to do with a smear campaign. Because I can't promote my throne and kingdom if I've got a competing one that looks better than me. Because that's just irrational. So what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to knock that one down every chance that I get so I can uh, justify why I think I should be my own life leader and do things my own way. And maybe we're a little bit more like Herod than we'd like to admit. That we prefer to kill what's threatening us than to understand the goodness that's there. You know, I struggled over preaching this sermon on a Christmas, Christmas service. I should be talking about cute little babies and uh, angels, and those are fun topics. Seen an angel once. Maybe that's what we should be talking about. I'll tell you what I was most afraid of. I was most afraid of insulting you <coughs> because you came to hear a nice sermon, hear some Christmas carols. Debbie you did a really good job decorating the stage. And you came to church and maybe somebody up front insulted you today. And I didn't want to do that. I'm writing out the sermon for the last number of weeks and I'm writing it out and it's just going in not a great direction. It's just insult with every day that passes, you're getting more and more insulted. I can see it on the page and I'm going, this is not good. Why would I do this on a Christmas day, you know? But what if the only way that you and I will see Jesus for who he is is if we humble ourselves and admit our sinfulness and admit our powerlessness. And as we do, we see him as being more than we could ever imagine. There's a quote that was attributed to C.S. Lewis, but I believe it's not. But it says this, that creation is littered with evidence of himself. God, God littered creation with evidence of himself. Isn't that a great quote? And then if you have eyes to see, he's just everywhere. He's just everywhere. But pride won't let you see it. And so I exhort you today, let yourself be fully insulted. <laughs> let yourself move to a place of humility. And this is maybe I'm not the best leader of my life. Maybe 
my sins, he's not overreacting when he, does, when he dies for my sins. Maybe that's an appropriate response to the evil in my heart, in the hearts of those around me. Maybe that's appropriate. Maybe it's worse than we could imagine. I find myself, you know, you, ha have you ever been around positive people? It's just really hard. <laughs> because uh, what they're doing is they're always denying reality. Don't you hate that? They're always finding the silver lining. And it, it, when e I know I, it's not good of me, but every time somebody shows the positive side, I feel compelled to correct them. I just, no, no, you're not right. It's bad, and I'm justified for being sad and angry. Don't bug me. I'm not interested in your fluffy explanations of life. <clears throat> and so what Jesus does is he comes into our reality, not into some fluffy world, but he comes into our reality and he is committed to changing this world from the inside out. Not with swords, not with political speeches, but he comes in humility, inviting you in humility because that's the basis for change and for the renewal of this world. It's ingenious and it's the right way to do it. And we won't receive that gift unless we join him in humility. So in conclusion, God's love is hidden in plain sight. God's love is hidden in plain sight. And uh, when Jesus speaks uh, in the New Testament, he often has this phrase, he who has ears to hear and eyes to see. It's an interesting thing to say because I'm pretty sure most of the people there had eyes and ears. But for some reason, he would say that not all of you have heard me and not all of you have seen me. Sure, you... you you, you heard the words coming out of my mouth. Sure, you saw what I did, but maybe you didn't. Maybe you were too busy being insulted by me to receive the salvation that came through my life and ministry. So the question that I want to leave you with is will we be insulted by Christmas or will we let the King of Love be birthed in our hearts? Will you, will, in this Christmas season, will you be insulted by the message? How dare you talk that way? You don't know who I am. How dare you judge me? Or will you, in humility, let Christ be birthed in your heart? I've been a Christian for over 40 years. And I can tell you <coughs> that right now, not in some distant reality, his love is the most beautiful powerful, life-changing experience that you could ever have. I remember the day I submitted to Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I remember that day like it was yesterday. And I remember waking up the next morning and I knew for a fact my heart was different. I knew it. I wasn't trying to suppress all my guilt, smoothing it over, hoping you'd flatter me. I didn't need to do that because I was fully known and forgiven. I'd never experienced that before. For me, most of my life is trying to perform well enough to be liked. It's my motivation. And I found a place where I was fully known, fully known and forgiven. And I found a God who was worth following. I'm not a good leader. I'm not worthy to be followed. Jesus is trustworthy. And every time I choose him 
I find my life looking more and more like his. I'd like to pray for us if we can have the worship team come forward. Father, I thank you that you have hidden your beauty when we are proud and insulted because you know that the only way to receive who you are is through humility. And so I ask that you would give to each one of us here, oh Father, I ask that you would give to each one of us here a gift of humility, a gift of honesty, a gift of finally being able to exhale and let down our guard. And that we could admit our sorrow, we could admit our powerlessness, and we could find ourselves seeing you for who you really are, the Savior and Lord, not just of this world, but even of our own lives. Meet us in this time, dear Father. Oh, 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 oh,